From Studio 113, this is the Changing Energy Podcast, recorded at Wake Electric. Clap along at home. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Changing Energy Podcast. We are clapping along to the music and uh, glad you have joined us. Welcome to episode nine. Man, love it. Week of September 12th. Mm -hmm. That's when we are. Yeah. Okay. And so we're super excited. We've got a a great episode. This might get to use Kirk's original podcast name. What was the original podcast name you were going to choose? Light them up, baby. <laughs> oh, man. That, that sounds like what this podcast is going to be called, because we're <laughs> yeah. going to be talking about LED lights and how that's changing through time. So super excited about that, but we'll we'll do news. We may or may not have a question. I think we, we're going to scrounge one up before yeah. we get to the end of this episode. But uh, what's been going on in your world? Well, I got another animal story. I'll tell you what. I know. <laughs> I Momo. Do. There's skunks. There's cows. Momo. All right. So Devin has been feeding the uh, next door neighbor's cats now for quite a while. They've been uh, helping a family member out. And she went over the other morning, uh, her and JC, and they saw one of the little kittens over there playing with something, you know, on the ground. And she's like, what in the world is that over there? She walks over there. It's a baby squirrel. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. We don't need any more animals. We don't need to nurse any. You know, we can't. No, no, no. Long story short, we have a little baby squirrel that we are been bottle feeding, and the kids have named the squirrel Dusty Buns from <laughs> Stranger Things. You know, Dusty right. on the Stranger Things, and it kind of goes hand in hand with kind of the electric utility of squirrel. Are you training Dusty Buns to stay off our lines? That that's what Devin wanted me to tell y'all that she's going to try to, <laughs> you know, have the squirrel, you know, kind of train him and kind of be a spy to go back and tell all the his friends and family you know quit getting on these lines and causing all these power outages for everybody right. so yes. that'd be great <laughs> you know so we're going to try so we're going to do the best we can i can't wait to see the training program because if it works yeah and dusty bond stays off our power lines i'm gonna tell you <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna change this podcast to the dusty buns podcast <laughs> i love Real. it we're gonna have a patent and a whole it. like seminar <laughs> That in my lightning box. We're going to do it. Yes. So, yeah, we do put this is sound, yeah. sort of in that what is that category. category yeah. People may see that a typical transformer has these bushings on top, and bushings are that connection to the line, to the transformer, and it looks just like a spiral or a ribbed type of insulator on top. Well, if ever the connection to that insulator or bushing touches the ground of any kind everything's going to go wrong and that is about the length of a squirrel <laughs> and so we that's it causes a lot of problems when when that when those sort of things happen when they when they cross phases and, and ground themselves like that um and that reminds me of a, a joke oh you got a joke yeah us. my uh, my son keeps chewing on power cords so i had to ground him oh man god huh. stop Currently, he's doing better. <laughs> he's really starting to conduct himself well. <laughs> okay. Um, so we put these plastic wildlife guards on the bushing. So some people might see they're, they're maroon and they're cream colored. They're different colors. But if you see a big plastic cage sitting on top of a transformer or on top of a bushing, 
That's a wildlife protector to protect the dusty buns of the world. <laughs> I will put it, we'll put a picture on Facebook of dusty buns and the bottle and everything. <laughs> and I'll put a picture of a wildlife protector. There yes, you go. Exactly. <laughs> Some actual information. <laughs> Sean, what are you working on? So last podcast, y'all went to y'all um, technology meeting. That's right. Uh-huh. We did at the Myrtle Beach Technology Conference. Yes. Yeah. So I'm signed up for my first ever business meeting with Wake Electric. Going hey. to the uh, MIC mem- member Information. Your member information conference. That's right. That's great, man. And so that is hosted by our partner in back office software. So our outage management system. That's yes. really what I'm I'm sending you to go make sure you, you grasp and absorb everything there is because we use an outage management system that helps us predict the scope and the magnitude of outages and we send the people to the right um, places. So that's where uh, that's you're going to that conference. So is that yeah. in St. Louis? Um, is in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, Nashville. It's a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fiance is gonna really enjoy. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you you bring back a lot of good good information for that. Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's what we're there for. Cool. Absolutely. Well last night I didn't have anything to talk about at the beginning until last night. My wife and I decided to have our house power washed. Hmm. And so I watched on the on the ring cameras as as they washed the house a couple times yesterday and i get home and my wife says we've got a problem (laughs) and and that's exactly what you want to hear when you come home oh wait i gotta get my scary music we've got a problem Uh, there There it is (laughs) well anyway we had no hot water and so i went down and i knew exactly where our hot water gfi uh, switch was so i went down and sure enough it's red needs to be reset so I just push it in like normal, and it pops right back out. And I push it in, and it pops out. And I go, this is this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> Second stage. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know the best way to troubleshoot this. So I called my buddy Billy, and I said, Billy, what, what would you do to troubleshoot this? He says, they power washed your house? And I go, yes. He goes, they've sprayed in your outlets outside, your outdoor outlets. Uh, and I go, ah. So I immediately went out, checked all the outlets. All of them are bone dry on the outside. There was no sign whatsoever. But I went back in, I clicked it, still didn't work. And so I took my shot back, and I turned it on, and I just put put it right on the outlet and just sucked on the outlet. Mm-hmm. Oh my! And then gosh. I went to the next one, went to the next one, went back in, clicked it, it held. Wow. So it's exactly what it was. Wow. That's good. To There's know. your DIY <laughs> I tip was of the day. Say, you power yeah. wash your house and it trips a breaker, vacuum your house. Vacuum your, your outlets. outlets. <laughs> no matter how silly you look. I love it. Vacuum <laughs> your outlets. Well, that's uh, that's a, a great banter. And we do have a couple news items that we want to cover. So. And now the news. Lots of things going on in the world. We teased one last month. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and uh, let you talk about the article you found. Okay, so I found this article um, stated back in August 17th of this year, 2022. And basically, the National University of Singapore, they've developed a new moisture-driven electric electricity generation device. A device. 
Yes. Okay. Very, very small and is made out of just a few items, a thin layer of fabric, sea salt, carbon ink, and a special water absorbing gel. <laughs> wow. Sounds the very, water absorbing gel. Yes. <laughs> the special water absorbing gel. And what are they hoping to do with these four items? So with this, they're trying to find um, a cheaper method of charging regular household devices. You like know, charging a lot. your your shaver. Or yeah, just, I mean small small things like that. It, it basically is to replace like batteries, yeah. like a toothbrush. Yeah. <laughs> and so, does it talk about how that's supposed to work and where they stand yeah. in that in that research? They're still working on a few things, but they do have an example where they connected three pieces of this power generating fabric together, placed them into a 3D printed case that was the size of a standard AA battery. The the voltage of the assembled device was tested and it reached as high as 1.96 volts, which is higher than a commercial AA battery of 1.5. Yes, I was going to say. And this power, which basically uh, is powerful enough to power small electronic devices such as an alarm clock. Wow. Wow. Had no idea we'd be talking about moist fabric powering like a battery. <laughs> That's interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah, we it will. is taking moisture from the air to yeah. So in in our industry, we've looked at hydrogen fuel cells for quite some time, which we were hoping that we'd really be able to pull just water through a mesh membrane, pull the use the hydrogen to generate electricity, and then the output would be hot water, and then it mm-hmm. just kind of recirculates. And and the problem we've had with that actually existed in the mesh that it went through because if the hydrogen wasn't 100% pure, it would clog the membrane and it became more of a nightmare, hard to keep it sustainable over a period of time. Uh, So that, that, I just figured that when you first brought this up that you were talking about a hydrogen fuel cell. So that sounds a lot different. So this is, yeah, definitely on a lot smaller scale, but uh, this article really interests me because one of the last podcasts we talked about how, you know, we want to, move to electric vehicles, uh-huh. but then there's still a lot of material that's made for electric vehicles. Right. It's there. It's how are you going to recycle uh-huh. all the materials? So this article was really interested in me because it's not using some of the most popular materials that's used for regular batteries. Right. And how much yeah. silicon and lithium and all that exists that we're going to be required to make some of these batteries. Exactly. And they said the convenience of, attain- of obtaining this commercially available raw materials, as well as low fabrication costs of about 15 cents per meter square, makes this device suitable for mass production. Wow. Mm-hmm. What is the, uh, the organization that put that article out? Uh, Science Daily. Science Daily, and it's, a, it's an online site? Yeah, it's just a, it's just a website that collects a lot of different um, news cool. about just different um, research and things that people are doing. And this is from the National University of Singapore. Okay. Well, we will put uh, we will put that on our yeah. on our site so that Absolutely. people can, so they can look at it, read it. Yep. So you can read more about it. And uh, I have another news article. Our CEO actually brought this to our attention, but it's from the Energy News Network, and it's from September seventh, twenty twenty two, an article written by Lisa Prevost, and it says the new Eng- this New England utility will soon pay EV owners to help uh, to back up the grid. Interesting. And so this is we've we've talked about in previous episodes the Ford F one fifty Lightning, what the requirements mm-hmm. were to actually go vehicle to grid. It at the beginning of this podcast back in March, we were like, 
it's going to be a long time yeah. before this happens. <laughs> now it's only been six like months six later. months, and we're like, oh, it's yeah. going to happen all the time. Let's do it now. So it, this is just an example of why we do this podcast, because this stuff is changing real fast. Yep. The amount of EV adoption is exponential, way more than people thought at this point, yep. and it's very popular. So how can we maximize that? So this article, we'll post this to is chock full of good stuff. First thing we have to know, it's a cooperative. It's New Hampshire Electric Cooperative. Oh, nice. And they That's are good. promoting real-time energy rates. And you came to me and said real-time. Real time, what yeah. is real-time? Real-time in the sense that the rate could change every hour. Okay. Uh-huh. But they're going to know about it a day ahead. So the way that this is going to work is that New Hampshire Electric will actually send a price signal out over the internet at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on one day, explaining what hour by hour the rate's going to be for these customers tomorrow. So they'll say, at this hour, your kilowatt hour is this. At this hour, it's going to be that. Hmm. And then that person has the choice to either charge their battery or discharge their battery based on that price. And if they char if they discharge the battery more than they're using in the home, they could actually sell it back to the grid at the transactional price. It's really awesome. Yeah. It is for not just vehicles, but it's also for ve- for residential battery storage. And the and the premise is charge low, dispatch high. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, almost it's, like stocks. That's right. It it is just and that is what we've been saying here about electric vehicles is that we can actually handle the capacity of electric vehicles if done correctly and we can manage how that charging goes and this is a way to say charge or dispatch when you want here's the prices this is giving a lot more information to the to the um, members as well that's right and so now they're going to know oh it's different times of the day prices are, are different let's see they have partnered with plymouth state university with just two Nissan Leafs. Now, Nissan Leafs have been doing bi-directional charging for quite some time. They're you know, obviously not as popular as, as the Tesla, but could be. There's 100,000 of them, them sold. Uh-huh. So Plymouth State University has actually built a program that automate the chargers from the, the previous day. So as soon as it gets those price signals, uh-huh. the charger itself is automated to charge and discharge to maximize the amount of money savings. So it's just on its own? Program. On its own. It's programmed to do it. So the oh, wow. the homeowner or the user doesn't even have to think about it. That makes it easy. That's right. And it, and it, and it could change <laughs> every day. It, it can, changes every day. And the early results, the university is saying that the early results are that they could save as much as $4,000 per car per year. Wow. Wow. Doing this <laughs> on, a, on energy savings. So I could see it worth it, you know, for the consumer. But what about like the electric co-op or electric utility? I mean, wouldn't it take a lot of these EVs to make it worthwhile to pay for the, you know, the the energy, and then just put it back out to the other? It's a trick question because saying we need a lot of EVs, because a lot of EVs would put a lot of pressure on the grid. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The better way to say it is that we're going to get a lot of EVs, period. Right. But okay. using this yeah. method, we can actually handle it. We can handle it, right. Because they will be charging 
when it makes sense for the grid. For everyone. It works for everyone. It works for everyone. And it isn't a number of how many do we need. It's we're going to get a certain number. What program can we give them to participate in our challenges? Yeah. Yeah. They're buying, a lot of you are buying these cars because they want to participate in the environment and they want to have this type of lifestyle and they want, and they want to feel good about what they're doing. I feel a kindred with this New Hampshire cooperative (laughs) that's, that's trying this stuff out. We can actually see what, what it's doing. So I I had to put this plug in there that the charging technology developed by a company called Fermata Energy and it's uh, developed by a professor from University of Virginia (laughs) (laughs) and he states that the cars charging bi-directionally will allow a greater adoption of electric vehicles without causing problems for the grid so that's exactly what you know we're saying yes we can adopt more because they'll be participating in protecting the grid and is all vehicles um is all of these electric vehicles bi-directional charging or is it certain ones right now it's just certain ones but a lot of car companies say it's coming. Okay, okay. Right now, we know about the Ford F-150 Lightning and the Leaf. Mm-hmm. There's others that are coming out soon, and, and I expect that it would be pretty common for yeah. most of them. We don't know what standards do we have to make for the house and what standards do we have to make for the wiring to for all that to work. That's true. I think we'll kind of see how that, that comes down. Here's another statistic. They've done some simulations on a Texas grid and said, what if... We had this many cars participating, and they did a, a speculation of they had a certain number of cars that participated in this program, and they fa- they figured their simulations are saying they could shave their load by nine to fifteen percent using this method, and that is that's, that's good. That's enormous. That's yeah. a, I mean, imagine yeah. taking the peak load that we have to build generation for, uh-huh. just shaving fifteen percent off that. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome, and t- this is a real application for school buses because school buses. Can they, you know, the hard thing is when are they going to charge? Well, they're going to charge at night and they're going to discharge um, during the day and they're going to yeah. discharge. So, I mean, I think there's a real opportunity for uh, schools to participate with that too. So anxious to watch this. I think we'll be paying close attention to how this quote unquote transactional rate yeah. uh, works yeah. and how do people respond and are they able to program their lives, whether it's, actually programming it to be automated or they program themselves to go out there and make yeah. take advantage of this on their own. So we'll see. Wow. But but uh that's, great this is big news. We're living in right now. Great that's right. times. Okay, we're at our main topic of the podcast and we have guests. Welcome. Welcome to the studio. What do you think of the studio? Love it. Love it. <laughs> that's our tagline. Love it. I know. You gotta love it. <laughs> It's a lot more like futuristic than I thought it would be. Futuristic. You expected yeah. a closet. I did. And, and it's way better than a closet. Oh, way better. Way better. <laughs> well, our topic today, you know, Kirk wanted to name our podcast overall Light 'em Up. But I said, that's probably going to draw the wrong crowd. <laughs> we did that. So we've been waiting till episode nine to actually call an episode Light 'em Up because we're going to talk about LEDs. Our podcast, we talk about what is changing in our industry. And I came here in 2010, and there was a slew of types of lights, but all were energy hogs yeah, because they were mercury vapor, high-pressure sodium. And now, 12 years later, it's the fastest change of any. We Everything has changed out and, and sort of everything. So we have Craig Schof 
and Mark Spizo from NTS, and they both have this long storied career in lighting. <laughs> Mark's, Especially you, Mark, Mark. Yeah, Mark's yeah. way, way more storied than I am. You're here it's for the long. story. Yeah, I'm here to just to add commentary. I'm a color commentary. <laughs> so, Mark, tell us about your 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 experience, your career, and sort of just what what you do. Yeah, I, I, I started off with um, Hall of Fame lighting um, in Birmingham, Alabama, back in 1989. Gosh. And um, well. Spent ten years in Birmingham with Hall of Fame. Then I went to Acuity Brands, which which purchased Hall of Fame, and spent the last the next twenty years um, with Acuity. So overall, about thirty plus years with Acuity, and just recently, wow, that's good. Um, went to work for NTS. Um, hired NTS about eight plus years ago when I was working as a regional for. Acuity. What was exciting about your job? Oh gosh, it was you know I worked. It <laughs> <laughs> <That> was exciting. <laughs> Well, the, you know, the, again, it's, there's been so many changes over the last 10 years. If it's the first 20 years of, um, you talked about the old, you know, the, the um, legacy sources of mercury vapor, metal halide, yes. HPS. Nothing really changed much with those. We got new fixture looks. but the, It was getting more yet. decorative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for really, the, the movement that, that you've seen probably in the last 10 years has just been seismic, right? Okay. I mean, when you go from the, the first 20 – it's just like you said, same old products, same old products, and then the last ten with LEDs, it's really it was more than my first. It was you know the last five years. I'll even say was was probably more changes in my first twenty years. Wow. Let, let's talk about something that's topical and dear to your heart. Yes, um, my son goes to North Carolina State University, the North Carolina State <laughs> University, <laughs> and you're wearing an <laughs> NC State shirt right now, Craig. Love it. Well, I you, thought I was going to be on camera. So. <laughs> <laughs> I see you dressed up. Yeah. I see you dressed yeah. up. Uh, so I got to go to the game, and it was mid- it was a noon game, so wow. it really didn't get to show it off. But we're excited because this Saturday it's an evening game, and uh, the listeners are not going to get to take part in this, but they should at least hear it. So I'll probably edit some of this out, like the in between part. But I want Craig to respond to this. I like it. It's good so far. Around the stadium. Yes. Now, so what yeah. we're looking at is the NC State Carter Finley Stadium. They've changed all the lights. Now the yep. lights. These are the Friday night on lights. Yep. Friday night lights. Yep. That are actually saying Wolf and Pack, and lighting the stadium in red. That's crazy. It's going to be sweet. So here's the deal. I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but Wake Electric is going to be doing this for all the high schools you serve. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, that, no. I mean, is that? Did I let the cat out of the bag? Yeah, it might be a little early, but um, you know, we like to be progressive. Well, I mean, that's, like I said, I don't want to put you on the spot. But. Well, this is just, I mean, it's exciting because we know what stadium lights used to look like. Yeah. They go off or they come on and it takes them 20 minutes yeah. and they kind of. Too long. <laughs> too long. They have to cut them on at noon for a Friday night game yeah. to get those up and, and running. But uh, a lot of people think LED lights are 21st century but i have the history because that's what we do here is talk about the change the first led light 1907 really a guy by the name of hj round he's english and he discovered electroluminescence using silicon carbide he was a radio engineer and listen what he was trying to do 
He was trying to develop a cat whisker detector. <laughs> cat whisker detector. We mean? love cats on this podcast. We yeah. talk about them a lot. Wow. Okay. So this guy was trying to develop a cat whisker detector. Why you do that? Why do you need I know. Why do you? <laughs> I don't know. And Newton Conover, did you ever need a whisker detector? <laughs> cat whisker. Not a cat. A cat yeah. whisker. Well, so he wrote this. This was written in the 1907 Electrical World during an investigation of the unsymmetrical passage of current through a contact of carborundum and other substances. A curious phenomenon was noted. On applying a potential of 10 volts between two points on a crystal of carborundum, the crystal gave out a yellowish light. Only one or two specimens could be found which gave a bright glow on such a low voltage, but at 110 volts, a large number could be found to glow. In some crystals, only the edges gave light, and others gave instead a yellow, light, green, orange, or blue. This is a guy... Studying cats. <laughs> this all came from a cat whisker detector. I still don't understand. It. I, I mean, don't. well, look, it must be hard because it's still not invented today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's needed. Okay, so fast forward to 1962. Guy from General Electric. Never heard of him. No, they're no longer. Nick, yeah, they're no longer. They Nick Holinyak. Holinyak. Uh, he develops a red LED. It's the first on the visible spectrum, and it's sort of the first one that can be said, oh, I created yeah. an LED. In red. In red. Uh, nine years later, blue gets invented, and one year later, yellow gets invented, and now in t- and then in 2002, white LEDs become available for commercial use. So we are only talking 20 years since you've right. been able to buy an LED for the light. And now... 2019 was when it pretty much became the primary source of lighting. Can't hardly buy anything else. Right. Halogen, fluorescent bulbs, completely phased out. You got to witness all of that. I did, and they have been using them in emergency-style fixtures for 20-plus years, so seen that. Incandescent bulbs, just to review, you know, the Edison bulb, uh-huh. it's a vacuum inside a glass ball. You put so much voltage and wattage through it, that it heats up the wire until it glows, and the only reason it doesn't catch on fire is it's in a vacuum. I want to know what would make in these lights, like in the ceiling here, I don't know what you would call the correct terminology, the long ones, the mercury, or back in the day. No, that's fluorescent. The fluorescent, or you could take them and, like, bust them in a dumpster and then make a big, loud... Pressurized. The pressure. Okay, I mean, you know, I'm just wondering what would we get really technical on this? Yeah, because I mean, I'm gonna ask questions because I wanna. I did that because I looked at when Dixie. That's what I'm saying. That's me too. That was a joy. I worked and I got the dumpster. Pow! I used to love to hear that. Oh my gosh! I don't think I ever did that. (laughs) I worked at Food Line. They just let me bag groceries. That was it. Okay, so switching to LED. Back again. Increased lifespan, shockproof. You know, you can't break the filaments by shaking it or anything like that. Increased brightness, increased energy efficiency, all those good reasons why. So talk to me about what you're seeing in the trends of LED lighting. So we're seeing on the color temperature, we're seeing the um, 
where we start out with the higher color temperatures, the 5,000, when you first saw these introduced. Very so we have to bluish. explain yeah, what is the color versus color temperature. Yeah. yeah. Color temperature is, is noted in what unit? Um, Kelvin. 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 Okay. The higher the color temperature is kind of not intuitive, but the higher the color temperature, the bluer the, um, the bluer the source or the bluer the source. As you go down, it becomes, you know, more, uh, much warmer color. So 2,700 degrees would yeah. be warmer than 5,000 degrees. I've heard like right. a one is like a candle. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. A one is a candle. <laughs> one Kelvin. I don't know. I just heard that. Yeah. But so it's different from Celsius and Fahrenheit. Higher the temperature, well, it's pretty the warmer. Dark the warmer. Yep. Kelvin. Higher the temperature, the cooler. Yep. The, yeah. The the look of it. So, so we first started seeing that because at that time the efficacy of the higher color temperatures, the five thousand, were much more efficacious than the you know the four thousand. So we went that direction. Now the trend is lower. Folks want to you know we have an organization called Dark Skies. They're pushing for lower color temperatures out there. Oh uh, right. People want to mimic that, you know, sodium, in, especially in downtown areas, and they want that warmer color temperature. Yeah, so when we first started, we were trying to – we wanted to go originally the highest color temperature you could mm-hmm. because it was more efficient and we, it was lower wattage for more light. That's what, Correct. I guess, your efficacy. Exactly, and now what you find is that now between like a 4,000, which is very common, probably the most common out there, and a 3,000, there's in some cases mm-hmm. maybe 3% difference on those. If you go to Home Depot, it's like – Daylight, soft light, warm yeah. light, yeah. you know, and, and cool light, yeah. I guess is kind of, but that's that's sort of the, the different Kelvins. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's just from yeah. the consumer standpoint when you go in there. You've always had, you've got the neighbor. I mean, you've seen a neighbor that has a 5,000 oh, yeah. degree on the outside of his house, looks almost, you yeah. know, institutional, you know, like a hospital over there because it's so yeah. high. But I think, so utilities wanted to go high, but it was such a change <laughs> that. You know, change in the community is going to get feedback <laughs> one oh, way yeah. or another. And when you make a change that drastic, you're going to get some some yeah. pretty major complaints. So it would have been a lot easier for us to go in at a low Kelvin and kind of ease our way in there. But we went right. we went high. And so a lot of people can remember. And we talked about glare, like getting a glare from some of those high temperatures. Correct. And there's more scatter. Um, that's why dark skies is kind of against the higher color temperatures. They see yeah. more scatter with that higher color temperature than the lower color temperature as well. So. Well, I know new cars nowadays, I tell you what, driving down the road, their lights, you know, yeah. oh, I'm yeah. assuming they're LED because they get pretty bright. I mean, you know, I flash my brights and they're like, no, this is my regular lights. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference for sure. And, yeah. then, and then back to your, your comment on, on just the change of it all. I mean, you, especially like the backyard lights, you had these orange blobs of light oh, that's right. forever. And <laughs> oh, right. you couldn't tell what, you know, what the car, what color the car was right underneath yeah. there. So you change from that to the LED technology where it's very cool and crisp and you're able to, the, the color rendering is a whole lot easier it's it's a it's a monumental change. Yeah, yeah. I see the details. Also, the hot spots on the old lights you, in a parking lot, you'd have a hot spot directly under it, and then it would get really dim really quick. Whereas this is like a very even, yeah, very uh, directional. LEDs are very directional. Which also, when you say dark sky, I think of you know light pollution. But that's is that different? It's it's still similar, but dark skies is you know driving both um, up up light components. So they want what the, what the, we used to refer to as full cutoff. That's kind of terminology has kind of gone away now. But they want no up light above ninety degrees, and then they also want the warmer color temperatures to avoid some of that scatter, you know, for the astronomers. And wow, yeah, if you fly at night, 
It is so you can tell exactly where an LED parking lot versus an older parking lot. The older parking lot, you see every light fixture brightly shining, just as up, and the parking lot looks no different underneath. And then you fly over something with an LED, you don't see the fixtures. You only see the parking lot yep. lit up. It's very even and smooth. Wow. So much better. And that was always a challenge. But the challenge before was always trying to get that uniformity because uh-huh. you know, the design has both an average and a, and a uniformity or a minimum and a uniformity ratio. And with HID or high pressure sodium, as you talked about, was very tough to get to that uniformity. That was a challenge. With LEDs, to your point, it's very simple to meet that 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 uniformity yeah. ratio. So right. when you're doing like a design, you know, it's just as far as the the ease with LED versus the old way. Is it yeah. just is it night and day? I hate so to we, use that term, but mm. yeah. so what you're pretty bright. I'm pretty bright. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing the average where I did a where we did a parking lot before it may have been two and a half foot kennel uh, foot kennel is a measurement of light on uh-huh. that um, parking lot, and we can go down to a lower average, and because our uniformity ratios are coming in line. It's easy to do those studies because I took a foot candle. I think I might have been with you one time, Craig, when we went to a parking lot and we're trying to do the foot candles and how it would fade versus how smooth it would be. And we needed fewer lights and lower wattage. And we'll talk about lower wattage. That's that's a big one. I mean, our average wattage was probably 400 watts per fixture across the board if you kind of averaged it out because we had 1,000-watt floodlights. And we probably had some 200 and 300 watt um, security lights. So if you average that out, we were probably at 400 watts per light, right? When we started doing security lights, we were dropping it to a 33 watt fixture. And that is significant. So I did some math and Wake Electric has about 7,500 street lights and about 7,500 security lights. 100% of them are now LED. I'm not, there's a couple still out there. There's a couple still out there, but let's just say, let's just say, Nearly 100% are, are, have been converted to LED. If we just assume that we went from an average of 300 watts to 40 watts on those, and we also assume that the lights burn for 11 hours a day, we basically were buying 18 million kilowatt hours a year for the HID and the mercury vapor type of lights. So 18 million kilowatt hours with... With the new lights, we're spending 2.5 million kilowatt hours per year, a savings of 15,500 megawatt hours. Wow. At Wake Electric that we're not going to ha- that we don't have to buy to keep these lights. So, here's what's really great uh, for us and for utilities. North Carolina in 2007 put out a renewable energy portfolio standard, the REPS Act that was 2007, and it basically gave us percentages. We had to achieve certain percentage of renewables. Well, Wake Electric does not have any generation that we own, so but we were still required <laughs> to hit these numbers. So, which made it very difficult until the uh, commission did say you're allowed to do this through efficiency. So right away, us changing to these lights saved. 15,500 megawatt hours a year that we could count toward our efficiencies and for renewables. So it was a really great solution for us. And so we early on just said, let's do them all. And we were very nervous. I mean, it's a new technology. It was a new technology for us. And I personally wanted a, I wanted a 10 year warranty. I wanted the, I wanted the (laughs) warranty because if we were going to do that many lights 
the last thing we wanted to do was go out and change them out again in two years because that's a lot of labor. But I'm going to tell you, we're now 10 years in. And in 2012, our annual maintenance for lights, just what we spent on labor maintaining lights, was approximately $162,000 a year. Last year, our maintenance was 63000 So we're saving $99,000 a year in maintenance on lights on top of the energy savings we're getting. So overall for Wake Electric and its members, yep, that's great. Yep. It's, it's awesome. No, it it's definitely awesome. is. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's amazing when you talk about numbers like that. I mean, it's uh, and you yeah. guys were one of the first ones in North Carolina to go and say, "Hey, look, you know, we're going to do the whole system," and then yeah. you were able to yeah. capture those kind of savings. That's right. That's not just one parking lot. And the light is that right. much better. And that's the thing; yeah. they're getting better light uh-huh. from it. It's 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 a win all the way around. Win win. Yeah. Win so, win win. That's good. So let's go back to NC State. <laughs> okay. Definitely. All right, so we have these LED jumbotrons and we have these led lights now they can change colors i did i wanted i i googled earlier how do leds change colors and so basically i learned and so this is for our listeners <laughs> that each that different different materials with current or electrons pushed onto them make different colors so as soon as they solidified how to make blue how to make green and how to make red with those three primary colors right if all three of them are lit up exactly the same, you're going to get what color? White. White. Yeah. White light. But then you start to adjust those, you can get any color in the rainbow. So it's kind of like art class when you would mix, you know, yellow and green. Just like art. You know? Or just like a Ziploc bag. Yellow and blue make green. <laughs> right? I mean, that right? Yeah, it means it's sealed, right? Yeah. <laughs> All I know is I'm going to look to you when I need a cat whisker detector. <laughs> Because I'm expecting y'all to finish the work of yeah. HJ Round. But that's cool, though, with those three primary colors. Though, yep. You know? That and so that's it. why LEDs can be any color we want. Yeah. Yeah. Any. And that's what you see in landscape lighting. You see, are they called RGB? Is yeah. red, green, blue. Right. Right. Well, is there any other words of wisdom? Or, or we appreciate you coming by here. No, I think, um, you know, the um, LED technology is kind of to the point where lumens per watt and is where it, where it is. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of gains over the next couple of years in that. I think you're going to see, you know, some changes. Color temperature is one right. thing. It's going to go lower. Right. I think we're, we have high-powered LEDs. I think we'll move more towards a low-powered LEDs and more LEDs on, on, a, on a fixture. Yeah, because these are done with a driver. And I know for the first couple of years, the drivers just kept changing. And they kept changing because they kept getting more efficient, more efficient, more efficient, more lumens, less wattage, more lumens, less wattage. And they did that. So you're saying we may have plateaued there, but it's still always going to be. We would probably plateaued on terms of the, the, the lumens per watt that you're going to see of these LEDs. The drivers, when we first started out, we had lower, um, lower power drivers. And then as, as the, the technology for LEDs became better, we could go to higher power drivers. But now I'm, what I'm told is the trend is low powered LEDs and more of them. So instead uh, of right. seeing a kind of a glare LED with you know ten LEDs on it, you may see twenty LEDs spread over an area closer together. Okay, and okay. you'll start to see that. Oh yeah, there was one other thing that that uh, that matters for us is that we used to do a lot of decorative lights that you put a, a bulb in and it shines three hundred sixty five degrees, and you put that in somebody's yard and it's great because it's three hundred sixty five degrees until. You're trying to sleep, and your bedroom window is facing that light, and then you yeah. have to put in all the shades and stuff. Or but black the, spray paint. Or back. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Yes. Black uh, spray paint. Edit that. 
Um, but but these new lights, you can actually direct the light away from one side and push it toward the other. So we have a fixture that looks just like all the fixtures, except when and the light's directed, the it's pushed. It's it's less light toward the house, more light toward the the sidewalk yeah. and the street. Wow. It's like That's so cool. great, so great. Yeah. yeah. I was told another trend that's coming, in, and this is down the road, is that you may buy one LED fixture, and with your phone or something, you could change the distribution of that fixture. So you could have a, a Type 3 distribution. If you're doing roadway lighting, if you're doing some area lighting, you could change it to a Type 1. Wow. That's down the road. Smart lighting. That's what, that's what it's going to come to one day. Yeah. That's cool. That is. I like that. Well, I mean, any, I'm going to say anything yeah. about it. We're, we're doing a patio. Yeah. You buy a light with the dimmer, and the dimmer switch is, is controlled by an iPhone app. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of what you see inside, I mean, a lot of the innovation and technology, it, it starts to come to the outside. I mean, they kind of lead the lead the way from a technology standpoint. But, I mean, tomorrow Yeah, we're seeing point, that in the controls yeah. as well. I mean, controls start inside. We're seeing that go to the outdoors now yeah. more so than in the past. Right. Think about all the lights on the interstate, you know, controlling – yeah, you know, uh, for thinking down they, the road, and they do know? have they do yeah. have controls. I mean, smart controls on every yeah. NCDOT fixture out there today. Yeah. It's right now. Like, this is a story about Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. There, they had a center city park, and they had some crime issues there, but they didn't want a lot of light pollution, so they gave the police department access to the controls of the light. So they kept the lights at fifty percent dim. Oh wow! But if there was ever a someone picks up a blue a blue light phone that they're mm-hmm. in trouble. The lights go to 100%, and they light up the park. That's cool. So lots of cool stuff coming out. Well, we appreciate it. We know you're busy selling lots of lights and lots of other things. Thank you for all you do. Um, Supply chain issues, are there any with lights right now? You know, we had issues. A lot of the electronic components come come from Asia, like a lot of right. electronics. So we've, we've seen those early on, but we're getting through a lot of those issues right now. And cool. so hopefully there's looking at alternate sources for, um, and, and there's a lot of, there's talk about chip manufacturing being done in the U S now in the future. So I know there's some yeah. plants being built, so be good. To, but compared to a lot of the other items, I mean, lighting has been, you know, it's been a bright spot yeah. and, uh, <laughs> a bright spot. I love it. It really has. I've I never mean, told anybody 14 weeks and they're happy with 14 weeks. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, Mark comes in, he's like, man, the lead times are terrible. I'm like, what are these? Like 14 weeks. I'm like, are you kidding me? We got stuff that's like 60 weeks. They're not quite 14 weeks. No, nah, but you know, it's, yeah. it's really, it's, it's honestly, it's weathered the, weathered the storm through this supply chain, uh, just challenges that we've had. And, and lighting's been a, been a bright spot. Cool. Thanks guys. <laughs> you are just the worst. <laughs> <sighs> questions questions All well right. we have uh another opportunity to play a audio question so kirk when you're ready all right here we go hey this is hop from hillsborough just wondering if you could let us know what's going on in california and texas and out west where they're talking about restricting uh people's use of power and could that be a possibility here in north carolina Thanks. Keep up the good work. Mm, thanks, Hop, for that loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Does Hop sound like the last guy that called in? Sounds I think awfully his name, familiar. His name was LD. LD. Pretty sure LD was from Hillsborough as well. But, hey, mm. we appreciate him participating. <laughs> uh, no, that is a great question, and it's probably top of mind. Quite honestly, that's probably a four-part Full-on podcast series. Um, could be its own yep. podcast in it really, general. It really could. It really could. <laughs> no, that is a loaded question. I think the, the, 
the easiest way to sum up what's going on in California and Texas is just quite frankly that they're closing fossil fuel plants faster than they're coming up with green alternatives. Now, we know the green alternatives are there and they're working, mm-hmm. but can we get enough of them to, to overcome the that, that we're closing down the fossil fuel plants? Um, so that's essentially what's going on. And then we heard the news about in, in 2035, they're going to make it so they ban uh, the selling of fuel-burning yeah, cars, yeah. gasoline cars. And that's probably not going to help the situation if they're already restricting power. And and quite frankly, this is going to this is going to fall on a very political edge. Yeah, and right. and you're going to have people that say, "Well, good for them. They're they're putting that line in the sand and they're going out there and putting a date." And and sure, we should make some sacrifices and restrict some power in order to get to these targets. You're going to have that side of the coin. You're going to have other side of the coin that says, "We shouldn't be getting ourselves into this mess and we shouldn't be doing this this soon and that's just that is going to be the debate for many many years and i think that's you know it's obviously what happened in texas too we uh, we need more grid infrastructure connecting Mm -hmm. these resources we also need to figure out how distributed resources are going to be put into place how we get microgrids and batteries and, and other solutions and we talked earlier about the New Hampshire using car batteries yep. at residential sure. properties as part of the grid. Yeah. This is all going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's going to happen real quick, which is what gives us job security as podcasters in the changing <laughs> energy world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess his final question is, could it happen in North Carolina? I, I think that it's all on the table. Uh, I think that we've got good infrastructure we've got good resources we are we have a lot of nuclear that is right now un, not under the same scrutiny we're not building new nuclear but it's not under the same scrutiny but quite frankly depending on which administrative and which political party yeah. uh, continues to rule over the next uh, few years could they put a line in the sand said we're going to do the same thing in 2035 in North Carolina it's a possibility right. all we can do is a utility is to keep up with the regulations that we're asked to do, meet the requirements that we're asked to meet, do it as as well as we can to keep power safe, affordable, and reliable. Reliable, And we're going to keep doing that based on whatever gets thrown at us, and it's going to get really complicated, but I think we're here to serve, and we're here to inform everybody as we move down that road what's changing in our world. Uh, so I think that's the best way we can answer it at this time. It's a tough question. Yeah, it's a very loaded one. We love questions, yeah. but goodness, don't make them so hard. <laughs> yeah, maybe we, give us an elementary question. We didn't ask for maybe. hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are these are questions on people's mind, though. And, You're right. You know, yeah, they're, they're trusting us. Yeah, You're right. It, it gets a lot of media attention, which makes yeah. people sit back at their homes and ponder these on their own. Yeah, and come to a conclusion on their own. Sometimes without all the details, uh, I I will point out, and I'll go ahead and, and recommend that we put this on the show notes. Okay. On July 30th of 2022, Wall Street Journal did put out a great article. It's called America's New Energy Crisis. It's about a six-page document that tries to explain this. So I'm going to post this on Facebook and on, on all of our links, just so if you if you do want to dig into what the Wall Street Journal has to say about this, It's pretty in-depth, and I recommend it. So thank you for everyone listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed Episode 9. Kirk, can you tell them how they can reach us? Absolutely. You can reach us by calling us at 919-863-6331 or emailing us at changingenergy at wemc.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Changing Capital NRG, Facebook, Changing Capital NRG, Spotify, and iTunes. And please leave us some feedback. Send us some questions. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. All right. Good episode, Kirk. Good episode, Sean. Good episode, Don. Good episode. (laughs) Woo-woo. Thank you for listening to the Changing Energy Podcast. Our broadcast team consists of Don, Kirk, and Sean, with special appreciation for our producer, Ira Osby, Deanna Crumpler, our artistic and social media guru, and Deshaun Gibbs for music and everyday smiles. We look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Until then, keep the energy going. What you gonna do? What you gonna do, baby?